Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker. Heather, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am delightful. I just spent, uh, earlier this week, spent about... 37 hours stranded at O'Hare Airport in uh, in the Chicago, and that was kind of uh, an adventure. Um, and I'm always up for an adventure, so uh, I'm glad but winter's over. This as if you needed a good book while you were stranded at your airport. Uh, I had a lot to read. I've always got my uh, my e-reader uh, access with me, so that that took up a hunk of that and uh, and napping in the airport took up a lot of time. Um, so you were just at a at a writers conference. Yeah, I was traveling too, but not by airplane. I was at a writing conference, and um, you know most of it was talking about writing, but we were also talking about reading and and reading books to kids and what kind of impact it makes on what books we choose and things like that. So I thought um, podcast listeners might be interested in just diving into that thought for a little bit about what, what kind of books are out there and which ones are on our shelves and which ones maybe could be on our shelves. And and which ones shouldn't is what I'm always I'm always <laughs> interested in. Uh, my first question for you, Heather, is: Are all children's books created equal? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, now that I'm a children's book author, you see, now I have tons of authority to answer that one. No, seriously, even before I wrote my own children's book, I would um, sometimes there would be a book that I would call a junk book that would come home in my kids' backpacks, either from daycare. Or school or wherever. And it wasn't that it was a flimsy book. Flimsy, you know, little paperback books can be fantastic books, uh-huh. but it's the content of what's inside that matters. Um, yeah, sometimes little books that, that come home, either they're, they're very um, poorly written in that they don't catch your interest or they're very preachy or they just, they're just they're just not worth a child's time. And I think that's really what every book should be, is that kids are only kids for so long, and they absorb a lot of things. So make sure the books you're reading to them are, are you know, worthwhile and that they, they're worth the child's time. Yeah, one thing that I always had a problem with is there's so many kids' books out there that are that are basically just commercials for another product, whether it's a movie or a television show or a video game or, or whatever it is. And more often than not, way more often in my experience, they are not only poorly illustrated, I mean it's just it's it, there's there's nothing delightful about the illustrations. They're they're poorly written because I mean they're just given to some hack because they want to get something to market to tie into the movie or or serial or whatever it is. Right. Um and so we always kind of push back against those a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, that that's of course goes with toys and so many other things. Um that it, is the book you're reading a, a big advertisement or is it actually a story that has some 
some value and interest. And I think children's books also need to, um, good ones anyway, will interest the adult almost as much, if not more so than the child, uh, because there's different levels of, of writing, either with the illustrations or with the, with the words. And if it can please and interest and amuse people of all ages, then there's, there's really some, some gold nuggets in there. Yeah, yeah. I, we were in the we were in the bookstore uh, uh, back at Christmas time. I remember Tasha and I and and trying to find Christmas books for the grandkids. And there's so many also out there that are that are just pre preachy kind of kind of woke baby books, where at at for for two and three year olds they're trying to push different political agendas and 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 worldviews. And I mean. Okay, fine, but at least write a good book. Yeah, and they they weren't, and and that was kind of sad too. Well, you know what they say in the in the world of children's book writing, if you want to send a message, send it by Western Union. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently, Western Union hasn't delivered to a, a lot of those publishers and authors out there because because there's, there's, no, there's some a messages, lot of messages they're trying to send. And I think uh, you know sometimes the messages will come out, but that shouldn't be the point of the book. Maybe there, you know, if if your whole point of the book is to deliver a message, you know, use email, text somebody, yeah, <laughs> use yeah. Western Union. But um, <laughs> the story itself may end up as you're writing it, you discover there's a hidden message in there, but it should be pretty hidden and, and kids will kind of come to it on their own conclusion or not. Um, it's the story and the characters and the ideas and, and the fun and whatever your book is about. Um, another thing that we were finding is that um, the the writing conference I was um, at was in Madison, Wisconsin, and that was just by chance that Madison has a children's book um, Center. I think it's called the Children's Book Cooperative, and it's been there for decades, and they track nationally how many books are written about white kids versus other kind of characters, and in fact, they've been tracking this since the 80s, and for the past, wow. until the last maybe three or four years, it was flat, that the number of kids of different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, et cetera, disabled, whatever kind of differences you want to talk about, was, um, it hadn't changed. The numbers hadn't changed for about 20-some years. And, and it was about 74% white. Oh. And then another big category of, um, and this includes, you know, who the main characters are. They, they sort of analyzed uh -huh. by who the main characters are. And yeah. Since in children's books, about a quarter of all children's books are picture books, there was also pretty big representation by bunnies. <laughs> so well, so white bears. kids and bunnies. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they weren't all bunnies. Some of them were, you know, birds or, or bears or whatever. But you can just call it the bunny and bear category. Um, animals. And, <laughs> and I know it sounds kind of funny, like bunnies represent X percent of children's books. But, of course, a lot of... It is a good way, if it's done right, you can have a bear be any kind of kid, right? You don't have to say this is a girl bear or this is a boy bear or this is a bear from this neighborhood or that neighborhood or this background, etc. So some authors uh -huh. do use the bears and bunnies for that reason. And they can be pretty cute, too. 
Yeah, there's nothing better than a than a well illustrated bear in a book. Um, so, so that's interesting. What what other takeaways did you they have from that conversation? Are are I mean, I it's well, I think we basically you know you can look at statistics like that and say oh, and you know some some groups are much more underrepresented than others. For example, uh-huh. Native people have the smallest you know, fraction of a percent of being main characters in a book for children. Um, And um, there's more with Asian Americans and, you know, different categories have a little bit more, but you can look at statistics and say, Oh, well, that's kind of skewed. But I think it's more important to say, why does it matter? You know, what impact is this having on kids who are reading books? We want all kids to become readers and enjoy books. And so there's another statistic, which is, uh, probably I'm not looking at it right now, so someone will have to look it up and get it right. But it's basically that just over 50% now of U.S. children under the age of 10 are um, non-white children. Uh-huh. So I think it's 50 point something, but it's it's just over the tipping point of half, and that's going to be increasing. So and if, of course, if you take care of kids and you look around and you say, yeah, I know that, <laughs> but you know, if you've got half the kids who are non-white, but but the vast majority of the books are featuring white characters, that that can have an impact. I just met. Um, I was at a library conference the other day. See, my new book is taking me. Oh, you're you're places. so busy. I know, uh, but this was all the li- all the children's librarians in the state of Michigan, and they're having their annual conference, and I got to go speak to them. Um, and one of the librarians there, I, I didn't know this because I knew this from early childhood world, but libra- children's librarian world is also really, really heavily female. Um, our local library is um, just as equal male and female li- children's librarians. So I thought, well, that's the way the world is. Anyway, it's not. <laughs> it's 95% female. <laughs> um, anyway, I guess we have a very progressive library where I live. Um, but I met a young librarian who was male and African-American who was at the conference, and he just said um, that meeting a male African-American librarian when he was in elementary school changed his life and his worldview because he realized, oh, that could be me. Um, uh-huh. And sometimes I, I have a friend who just um, wrote a book that involves a librarian in the book, and the illustrator, she's the illustrator, and she made the, the um the teachers and the librarians, the African-American. And I think whether you're meeting them in real life, like this young fellow met in real life, or whether you're meeting them in a book, you're realizing, oh, that could be me. Or, oh, that librarian looks different than mine, but I guess somebody else could be a librarian, an astronaut, whatever Uh it is that you're reading the book about. And in this case, it changed his life completely, and he went to library school, and now he's a children's librarian. So it does have an impact on individuals. And I think whether you're from a non-white background or a white background, it, it does make your world just bigger and richer. So the white kids will also notice, oh, and maybe they won't notice. And that's okay, too, because yeah. sometimes the story is the, the fascinating thing. Um, and you don't realize till later that, oh, the girl in corduroy, she wasn't white like the sales lady, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's uh when when we're selecting books for for our own home libraries and and for for early learning settings looking for searching out that diversity is 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 probably something 
I, I, again, you, you thought there was more diversity in the librarians. I like to think there's probably more diversity, more, more search for diversity in the books that end up in classrooms, but real life experience um, probably says otherwise because we sometimes we just don't think about that so just being able to pause and and put some and 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 just think about that as a as a as an influence when you're when you're picking out new books for for your setting is is probably a worthwhile endeavor yeah and another thing about thinking about books is there's books that um, so, you know, maybe somebody's listening and suddenly going to their bookshelf and saying, hmm, what should I add? And um, if you if you wanted to add books, it's important not just to add books that sort of um, – it's important to add books that, that might tell a story about a certain group of people. Let's say if you say I'll add a Native American legend book. But that uh-huh. makes it seem as if – if you only add that book, then it makes it seem as if all Native Americans are way back in this mythical time rather than maybe one that's got contemporary characters. So uh-huh. there's um I call it normalizing. If you have books, and a perfect example is the Snowy Day. I think that's a book most people know by now. It's been out since what the 70s or the 60s, <laughs> <laughs> and it's about a little boy enjoying the snow and the wonder of the snowfall. Um, and it's an African American family, but the focus is not on injustice or you know civil rights or any sort of or or slavery or any of the the big topics it's about a kid in the snow and books like that are are super important to have to normalize other cultures so that you realize oh other people like to drag sticks uh, other through people the like, snow <laughs> other people it's, like snow too uh, it's a humanizing it, it i think it's just a yeah. you know it's important sometimes you want to read an issue book to a kid um, uh-huh. You know, maybe you want to read a book about Rosa Parks or whatever. So read that issue book as a learning tool. But then don't forget there's a million types of stories in the world. And we shouldn't just put people in categories and say, this is their struggle. This is their struggle. <laughs> you know, m- make sure you're reading not just about struggles, but about people. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, what? Briefly, we're we're coming up on our time, but uh, I was wondering, um, what's your what's your feelings? And I kind of know what they are uh, <laughs> about scare about scary books are because I think a lot of times programs are weeding out books that might scare children or might challenge them or deal with topics like like death that make adults uncomfortable. Um, should all the books that we read to kids be happy, fluffy bunnies that are eating cupcakes or or should we deal with real world uh issues well you know i'd rather eat the cupcake myself than read about a bunny eating a cupcake <laughs> um so, yeah so I read, think that read, was... a, read a scary read a scary story while you're eating cupcakes <laughs> is what you're saying well then i i i you know i think that um you know the answer is that <laughs> First, I want to say that there's a difference between a scary book to a kid and a scary book to an adult. So a scary book Uh to a kid may have a picture in it that is terrifying and they really don't want to see the picture. And maybe they don't even want the book in the house or they want to take that book and cover it with pillows because Mm -hmm. it's very scary. It's the kind of thing that if they look at it, they they um going to get nightmares and we have a lot of books in our house like that that we just don't look at. we even paper clip some pages together because there's a picture that's too scary 
Um, so there, and those pictures aren't scary to me. So that's, that's about dealing with, and that's very individual child to child. And it may be individual, the same child month to month, Mm -hmm. but those are real fears and we can't poo poo them. So that's one section of the question. The other section is things like sad stories or challenging stories or ones about death and war and difficult things. Those tend to be ones that scare the adults more. And those are the ones that the kids tend to be fascinated by, have a million questions and really want to know about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if it is a book that might make you uncomfortable or a topic that might make you uncomfortable. There are many books that treat difficult topics in loving and beautiful ways even. Um, So my books do get into, go ahead and read your kids' um, sad stories. What is it? I have a chapter called, Don't Remove Ogres from Books. (laughs) Um, And and it's okay to go up the slide. So that deals with all kinds of things that, um, including sad endings, you know, there's yeah. um, Disneyfication of, of endings. Uh, our mm-hmm. school just put on Little, Little Mermaid <laughs> where everybody's happy in the end. And of course, the real one has the, the tragedy at the end. So yeah. it's okay to read some sad stories. They're very thought provoking to the kids. Um, and just gauge it on the kids you've got and, and see if this is sitting well with them. But chances are they'll think about these things and have a million questions. Yeah, and, and dealing with those those challenging issues in a story, it's kind of like dealing with it in dramatic play. It's it's set apart from the real world, and it's a safe place. It's a safe place to examine things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes away some of the uh, some of the personal risk involved in in addressing the issue, and so so playing with those topics in in play and in stories helps it kind of inoculates kids for dealing with them in the real real world a little bit or at least letting them know that other people might have these same feelings or these yeah. things happen to them that they're not alone and that is that is an important message if we're going to send messages by western union <laughs> for kids yeah. to know they're not alone and that other people have have fears and struggles and difficult things too yeah because yeah. sometimes well, they coming- feel like they should be happy all the time yeah well, we're coming up on our 20 minutes, usually where we cut things off. What, do you have any, any closing thoughts on this, Heather? Cause I've got a couple of things I want to share, but I um, want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, I got... mean, if this seems, um, keep reading books, more books and more books. You can't read too many books. And the more you read, the more you can branch out and, and find ones of, of all different sorts that will enrich your lives and enrich the kids' lives around you. Yeah, a couple of resources I want to throw out there for listeners is over on the uh, Playvolution HQ site I run where I'm kind of trying to curate links and co- and and content and books and and resources. We've got we've got a couple things people might be interested in at playvolutionhq.com/books. We are starting among other things we're starting a collection of recommended kids books there uh, because uh, you know this is it's all suggestions from I've actually got a, a, a an early learning librarian working on suggestions for me and some other people and so if you're a parent or program looking for good books we're going to be adding more content there all the time and the other thing is a, a couple years ago Lisa Murphy and I worked on this it's kind of a, a, a flow chart kind of for for doing a book audit because every 
every once in a while, programs should pull all the books off the shelf and decide what stays and what goes. And and so we put together a, a video and a, a kind of PDF mm-hmm. that kind of walks through that. And you can find that by searching a book audit at the Play Evolution HQ site. So those are kind yeah. of related to the topic, and I wanted to throw them out there. And uh, um, just a note, yeah. yeah, just a note yeah. before you, you yank all your old books off is that sometimes, you know, especially if you read an old book, maybe it's 60, it was written 60 years ago or something, or 100 years ago, um, it's okay if they have very sexist roles or something that's very different than today, because they'll be so starkly different that you can talk about it and say, wow, this is different than today. And, and that's a great jumping off point for talking about things too. So um, just because it might seem outdated doesn't mean it needs to go in the recycling bin. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And along that topic, Lisa, or not Lisa Murphy, I talked to too many people in podcasts, Heather Shoemaker, um, sometime we need to talk about having authentic conversations with kids. Somebody messaged me the other day about how to do that because in her college classes, they they were kind of more about conversations to get, get kids to say the right answers. And that's kind of yeah. related to, to having those. So let's talk about that sometimes. I'll make a note. This... This has been Renegade Rules. We will be back with another episode soon. Thanks for listening. Heather's got a great new children's book out there, and there's some scary parts. And she was nice enough to sign one to my granddaughter for her birthday. So you need to get one for yourself or your granddaughter or your daughter or your son or even, you know, Heather would be okay if you bought two or three for uh, each of your pets. Um, Well, there is a dog in the book. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, so, you, I mean, people should, I mean, theoretically, people should be buying and reading this book to their dogs as well, right? <laughs> Why not? It, I mean, does have a, it does have a part where it's from the point of view of the dog, so it might be interesting. Uh, there you go. And, and it's also good for book sales. Uh, back soon with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.